You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. All right, it is Independence Day. Anyone else look up the speech from the movie Independence Day last night? Anyone? No, only me. (laughs) One patriot in the back. Thank you. (laughs) It's so funny. I was a, I think I was a teenager in that movie. And man, when I was a teenager, that speech hit so hard. (laughs) I watched it today or last night and I was like, yeah, this is about aliens. It's not as cool as I remember it. But I still love it. I still love it. Okay. Uh, Hey, is John Lang back in the house? Where you at, John Lang? Hey, there he is. Welcome back from San Diego, my friend. So proud of you. Watch that space. He's getting ready to change the world. All right, so we're going to get to it. Anybody ever heard of the Black Robe Regiment? So I'm a little bit of a history buff. I, I, I really enjoy history. I, I will read biographies of the founding fathers for fun and not just like, you know, little spark note ones. The last one I read was like freaking Bible on them, okay? It took me a long time to finish it. But I just, I love history. And <clears throat> one of my favorite, so let me start, let me back up. There is an attack on our history and it's very intentional. Okay, and as a church, listen, as a church, if you're looking for a church that's like, hey, we don't get involved with the culture, we don't want to influence the culture, we're just here, you know, to love, to just, just you know, we're, we're just going to love, and we're not going to tell people that, we, there's, that what they're doing is harmful to them, and that what they're believing is lies, because we love, and we would, the worst thing we could possibly do is offend someone, even though they're heading down towards bondage, and freedom, and lack of freedom, but no, no that's not the church we are. It's not the church we are. The church was meant to shape culture, not bow to culture. And that is the kind of church Awakened Church is. Okay, we have been brainwashed and lied to. And I just want to go off on it for a minute. We are trying to be divided. Division makes it, it it makes it possible to gain power. Confusion makes it possible to gain power. Those are where the devil works. He works in division and confusion. How does he take people out of the church? He gets them offended, okay? And then he gets them confused. Well, did God really say? Does that sound familiar? Go back to, I mean, anyone who's ever done a one-year Bible, we've all read that one, okay? We all made it that far. Did God really say? The enemy always attacks the word, Because if he can get you divided in your mind on the power and potency of God's truth, then he can have his way. He can have his way. And so there are divisive lies in the culture right now. They just are. Okay? Critical race theory is a divisive lie. It divides us by different segregations. And we're going to say it at this church. It's a divisive lie. It is from the enemy because we are all one in Christ. I don't care what your pigment is. It has nothing to do with your value to me. And great. Okay, you've come from a a different culture. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. I'm, I'm down to, I love, you know, diversity of food, diversity of music. I love, God is creative. He gave all, all people creativity. I'm not talking about that, but what I'm talking about, when you start trying to divide me because of, divide me from someone because of pigment, no way. Blood runs way deeper, okay? The blood of Jesus is what unites us. Just felt like kicking some sacred calves today. Okay, so we're not a church. We're not, we're, listen, the only reason that American flag is that big is because I need a bigger building for a bigger flag, okay? We will wave the red, white, and blue. And that doesn't mean I'm not a citizen of heaven. That is my ultimate kingdom. But this, this experiment called the American experiment was based on religious freedom and freedom, and those are kingdom things. And kingdom can move in this country. And so I will celebrate her because no nation, this is the other lie. Yes, are we perfect as a nation? Of course not. We're humans. We're not a perfect, there's no such thing as a perfect person, perfect nation, perfect family, perfect church. Okay, we all miss the mark in our human. That's where we have Jesus to bring the grace. But the things that our founding fathers laid a foundation for have allowed revivals to break out, have allowed the abolition of slavery, were the foundational things that we built upon. And for people to just say, well, oh yeah, the 1619 Project, baloney, baloney, okay? That is not the reality. We were, because of what it was founded on, we set ourselves on a natural trajectory towards freedom for everyone, okay? It is a beautiful nation, and if that in any way makes you feel uncomfortable that I say America is a beautiful nation, then I challenge you that perhaps the brainwashing has hit a little bit. It should not be offensive to say America is the home of the brave and the land of the great. And you know what? You know what? Legally, come on in and party with us. If you want to get in on the freedom, on the fun, on the joy of what we're trying to build here, come on in, okay? I, like, oh, sorry. I, I'm going off here, but this is a topic that gets me going. Okay. The reason I am so passionate about this is because really, really great men, not perfect men, but really, really great men, put so much on the line when it made no sense to birth this nation. And it was because of that undertone of the Bible that caused it. I want to read you guys some quotes from some of our founding fathers. Today's message, by the way, is on the line. On the line. You could also say it's time to put it all on the line. Or what's on the line if we don't. Okay, on the line. So, just going to go through these. These are founding fathers. Sam Adams. Our unalterable resolution should be to be free. William Penn. Wear none of thine own chains, but keep free whilst thou art free. I'm not going to read all the different people, but more founding fathers. You will never know how much it cost my generation to preserve our freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. Is life, another one, is life so dear or peace so sweet 
as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. I love this one. The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Hold the line. The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. We have got to wake up, church, and not be bullied. Not be bullied by media. Not be bullied by left propaganda. Not be bullied. When the, before, when the founding fathers wrote that there will be a separation of church and state, it was to keep the state out of the church. It was to keep the state from saying things like, you can't sing in church. It was to keep the state out of the church because all the founding fathers left a kingdom that was controlled. The king controlled the church because he knew the power of the church. And he knew that if the church was unbridled, freedom would break free. But make no doubt about it. The church was always meant to shape the culture. I dare you to read the quotes from the founding fathers and argue with me that they didn't have church involved with these decisions. I'll read a few more in case you doubt me. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is, it is darkness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. And it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Bible verse, Galatians chapter five. Jesus, our, Jesus came to bring freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So he was kind of right when he said that God holds it in high value. That was why Jesus came. Okay, a few more. Freedom hath been hunted round the globe. Asia and Africa have long expelled her. Europe regards her like a stranger. And England, England hath given her warning to depart of receive. Sorry. Oh, Reese. Oh, you guys have it behind there. Great. Oh, receive the fugitive and prepare in time an asylum for mankind. Two more because I just love these. If you love wealth better than liberty and tranquility of servitude better than animation, the animation contest of freedom, go home from us in peace. We ask not your counsel or your arms. Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chains set lightly upon you and may prosperity forget that you are our countrymen. It's pretty divisive. Oh, so offensive. All right, I lied. Two more because these are, these are the last two. Freedom and not servitude is the cure of anarchy as religion and not atheism is the true remedy of superstition. And this one is very important. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with humans' passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to government of any other. I would argue that not a more, more accurate statement from any of the forefathers is true than that last one. If the church abandons her post of setting culture, the Constitution is not sufficient. 
It was meant to govern free people. But understand, if you do not have truth, you do not have freedom, and you will choose slavery. A nation without God will run to slavery, will run to oppression. It's a false counterfeit for the security we get in an all-powerful God in worship and praising God. If we do not know how to worship and praise and trust our almighty God, we will trade freedom for comfort. But freedom is always taken with a fight. Here's the deal. Freedom can be given, but it, it can be given away freely, but it is always requires a fight to be taken back. Always does. When Adam and Eve gave their freedom, it required Jesus to come and fight and get it back for us. There is no free freedom that you can give and then take back. And so as I was getting ready to do my message today, okay, we got a little time here. My message, I wanted to preach strictly on just freedom. Like all of us getting free, you got something haunting you, you got an addiction you're coming in here with, you've got, you know, habits you can't break, or you've got negative thinking, those kind of things. And, and, I, and we'll get there, but as I started studying, and I'll be fully honest, God really, really drove this one to the wire. I had to change everything this morning, which was obnoxious, but, but he just, I couldn't, because I, I was missing a fundamental thing that I was thinking, okay, how do we protect the people? And I just hear the Holy Spirit say, I don't use retreat. The reason that when you read about the armor of God, the armor of God, it's got everything in the front. Nothing protecting your behind, okay? Because we were meant to be an advancing church. We were meant to take ground. Yeah, that's good. But as we take ground, there are things that we do to stay free. Only Jesus can set us free. But then we have an obligation to partner with him to stay free. This all spurred on for me from, I was thinking about when the church is bound up. I hate it when people are bound up. When I see so much potential, but because of some insecurity, because of something somebody said about them, because, you know, they feel they were teased back in grade school. We, we get to this point of our life and we are bound up with fears and insecurities. And I hate that. I want to break that off because you're a child of God and in God, all things are possible. And God says that delight yourself in the Lord and he'll fulfill the desires of your heart. See, we are men to live a victorious life. So I was thinking about, well, how does the devil bind us? And I thought of the verse Mark 3, 27. No one can enter, and if, if you can throw it up here, it says this, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. So I was thinking, okay, yeah, I'm gonna preach on this, I'm gonna preach on this scripture here about not being bound. But then I decided, because this is always a good idea, to not just look at one verse, but also take in context. Yes, that does apply. Yes, the devil knows he can't beat Jesus in you, so he's gonna try to get you bound and confused and, and weaken you, and then he can take the plunder, okay? So when you're like, man, you know, devil's coming against me, usually when you see him coming against you, that, that probably is a attack, but that's not the attack that'll take you out. It's the gradual binding he's doing Oh man, my kid got sick and in the hospital. That happened to me. That felt like an attack that was an attack. But listen, it's actually how I process after we got through that where the devil was trying to bind me in fear. It was the after 
that he tries to buy me. So I was on this kick of like, okay, let's talk about being a strong man. But actually, here's the crazy thing about this verse. If you read it in context, Jesus isn't calling him or another person the strong man. He's calling the devil the strong man. And he's in a debate with the Pharisees because he's been setting people free from demons. And the Pharisees are basically saying, hey, you're doing that by the devil's power. And that's where he says, a house divided can't stand, guys. Okay, the reason... I'm casting those demons out is I got to bind that strong man. I got to bind that demonic force so that I can then set them free so that I can plunder what the devil thought he had, which is souls and people. So here's my point. And, the, and Jesus is so good at this. You know, you read the verse that says, and they reveled at his teachings. We lose some of the power of his teachings in translation because what he would do would be tie in Hebrew from the Old Testament in sayings like this, and the Pharisees knew it. They connected the dots because they had the Torah memorized. So here's my point first with this. Instead of us being so worried about how the devil's trying to bind us, Jesus is trying to say, hey, get serious about binding him up. Get serious about shutting him down. Get on the offensive Okay, because it says, and then you can plunder his house. This is what bugs me about the valley, is that the, it's what, the fruit is ripe for the picking here. We are to plunder the devil in this valley. We are to take it from him. We don't shy back. We don't shy back. I'm here to plunder the devil. I want to be famous in hell. Just, ah, we hate this guy. We are here to plunder the devil. Okay, so Jesus says this scripture to the Pharisees, and he was, he was heated, man. He was heated because he hates it when religion tries to squash freedom. He's setting people free, and the Pharisees are like, you did it on a Sunday. How dare you? And he says, is it rightful to heal someone on the Sunday? Is it rightful to do good or bad on the Sunday? Which should I do? Because I have the power to do both. And my silence does not advocate me from doing good. Do you understand that if I know what I should say or do, or I have the power to heal, but I don't, it's the same as me choosing not to. And so Jesus says, is it rightful for me to do good or bad? Which should I do on the Sabbath? Because knowing what I can do in Christ, if I don't do, that's bad. All right, anyways, little nugget there. All right, Mark 27. The reason this got to the Pharisees is that the language most closely in the, in the Hebrew goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 20 is where God is giving war instructions to the Israelite people to take the promised land. And so we read that scripture, but what Jesus did for the Pharisees is say, go back to this verse, because this is what I'm talking about. I'm here to take the promised land. I'm here to conquer what set the captives free. I'm here to do what he's, he's saying, the prophetic picture that we had of Israel coming in the promised land. That's what I'm here to do. So he's prophesying here. So I'm gonna read a little bit of Deuteronomy 20 and then we're gonna just break out here and we'll be done. Deuteronomy 20 verse one. When you go to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. 
Say, speak to the people. And he shall say to them, hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Caveat before I get to the points here. Why before battle did he say on the verge? So this was, I mean, we're talking like they're suited up, guns are loaded, okay, they're ready to go. No guns back then, but spears are sharpened or whatever they did, okay? And, and it says, let the priest come because we are meant to stand on the words of God. You see, they needed to know that here's what God says. I'm with you in this battle, I'm for you. Okay, whenever you're facing something, we don't do it in our own strength. I go and find a word. I go and camp on a word. No weapon formed against me shall prosper is one I use all the time. Someone's coming against me, no weapon formed against me. That's God's word. And then I remind God, hey God, you said that one. Just like Moses, you said that one. That's not, God loves that. God loves it when his children, the rascals, remind him. I, I mean, I have to give my kids credit Whenever I said something, man, they are really good at remembering what I said. Anyone have kids, right? You're like, hey, it's time to do this. But you said, and you're, you're, you are, you're like, ah, oh, darn it, I did say that. And so what do I do? All right, go get a popsicle. All right, here's the popsicle. You know, whatever it is, because I did say it. And when they are right, I, I hold myself to it. I'm not going to be mocked. I want them to know the Father's voice has meaning and purpose. So be like a little child, Jesus said. Remember what God said. And it's okay. Hey, hey God, you said this one. You said by your stripes, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to camp here. I'm going to camp here until I see it. Okay, so you get the word of God in. Then it says this. Now here's my points. Here's the actual points. As we are advancing in the church, there were things that God would not allow the, the, men in, or the children of Israel to fight if they hadn't got these things squared away yet. And this is where I want to pull the points of what we, as we go in, as we're celebrating freedom today, God wants freedom in certain areas of our life. And this is where I just felt the Holy Spirit say, this, this, is, this is it. This is what I need my people to do internally before they externally take ground. All right, so it says this in verse five. Then the officers shall speak to the people saying, what man is there who has built a new house and not dedicated, dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house lest he die in battle and another man dedicate it. Interesting, we'll get to that. Also, what man is there, verse six, who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it. Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. And last one, and oh no, two more. And what man is there who betrothed a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man marry her. And finally, the officer shall speak further to the people and say, what man is there who is fearful or faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest his heart, or lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. Four things that God wants in order and set 
before we go into the advancing battle. First was the house, your house. Now, the Old Testament gives us prophetic pictures uh, uh, often of what God's doing in the spirit in the New Testament. Does that make it? So the temple in the Old Testament was where the presence of God went until Jesus said, now you're the temple because you're a pure vessel in my blood and you be the temple. So yes, it's great to have a house, but I want to talk about what does a house represent spiritually? A house represents spiritually your life and your spiritual state. To, comp- to give you a little Bible to make sure you understand where that comes from, Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so I, I am, I've only got about five more minutes, so I'm going to go quick here. But let me tell you the things I see. Tear down. The house represents your spiritual state. Tear down people out of church more than anything else. It's bitterness unforgiveness and bitterness and offense. We have to be a perpetual garden and not allow seeds of unforgiveness, bitterness, or offense to begin to grow in our hearts. And listen, they will come. We've got a new garden in our, in our backyard now, and um, we did no work to get the weeds in there. None. I mean, it's amazing. It's a miracle. They are just flourishing on their own. And we pick them and we've been doing this for like a week. And I look back at the one we first, the first patch we picked and I'm like, little rascals, they're back. I love that word. You got me hooked on it, John. And I can bring the keys up because I'm going to, that helps me land the plane quicker. Um, I have to do no work to keep the weeds in the garden. I do have to perpetually monitor the weeds and get them out of the garden. Listen, we are a church on a way to a destination. We have not arrived and we are a hospital for people that are really broken and hurting too. We're the only organization that exists for its non-members. So people are going to come in here with some messes and just like children, I wish I could contain their mess to themselves, but that mess gets on me sometimes. You know? So people are going to offend you here. You know, I might offend you. I might have my head down. I might be in a thought. I might be doing something. And hi, pastor. And I, I, don't, I don't see you. And then the devil will come in and water the seed of like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't really respect you. Or he, he doesn't even know you exist. And he'll grow these weeds. And so we have to perpetually weed things out of our life. And most of the time, if you catch it early enough, it's just bringing it to Jesus and saying, Jesus, this kind of hurt me. I don't want it. But if they get a little bigger, sometimes you got to go talk to someone. If someone really hurt you, if someone said something, you got to have the courage instead of holding to go to them and say, hey, listen, I'm sure you didn't mean it or whatever, but when this happened, this, this, it, it hurt. It caused a hurt. And then just release that. You know, and if they, if they apologize or whatever, great. If they don't, it's still not yours to care anymore. You voiced it, you bring it back to Jesus. So do not let offense take you out. I wish I could go further on this, but I've squandered my time with independence talk and history. Okay, number two, the vineyard. It says you can't go to bat- battle unless you've tasted the fruit of your vineyard. Vineyards always represented 
either the church's fruit, our fruit, or abundance. In Numbers 13, 23, I'm not gonna read it just for time's sake, but it says they sent out the spies and what they brought back to prove that was a province land was a huge cluster of grapes. And that's how they all knew, oh my gosh, that is a blessed place. You see, it is really, really hard to convince people they should have a life for Jesus if you don't even like your own life with Jesus. People can feel insincerity. So we muster up this religious conviction, like, oh, I have to tell people I'm supposed to, but it should be from the overflow. And it's okay to say that because that's the Father's heart. I don't want my kids. You know, sometimes they do. I said, why do I have to do this? Because dad said so. But the attitude they do it with is always like, I'm like, I shouldn't have even said it because I just, we're, we're missing the point, right? I love it when I ask my kids, hey, would you do this? And they go, heck yes, because I'm already living in that. And so God doesn't want that negativity infecting his children. And so at this church, we don't apologize for saying, if your daddy in heaven is who he says he is, your life should be abundant. That doesn't mean it has to be a Bugatti or a Bentley or a Maserati. I'm not, my treasure's not there. There's nothing wrong with it either. If you're a call, if you're if you're a businessman and you are you are influencing culture, nothing wrong with that. Even if you're not, there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm worried about is does does greed have your heart? Does money have your heart? As long as it doesn't have your heart, I'm I usually assume I see the Bugatti and I know that person doesn't money doesn't have their heart. I assume they're living in a blessing of the sowing they've done over years. But we don't apologize for for throwing out the challenge that you can live in abundance not bound up with depression and anxiety, not spending all your prayer life, God, I need to figure out how to pay the bills this week. Okay, there are, day, there are times, there are seasons, I have prayed that prayer, I'm not judging, I'm just saying you shouldn't spend your entire prayer life, your whole life, with your focus there when you could be praying, God, I wanna see revival break out of my work. Give me opportunities to share Jesus at my work. Give me opportunities to share Jesus here. Give me an opportunity to show you it's important that we taste the goodness of God. The kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. Number three was your, your marriage. Hello. Okay. Look, we celebrate healthy, great marriages in this house. Okay, we celebrate healthy, great marriages in this house. The, one of the best things you can do for your children for your church is to have a healthy, happy marriage. And look, I get it. It's not always the easiest thing. There are, there are moments, things come out in life. But man, we are not a church that shies away from, if something's broken, get it fixed. Get up up here in the altar and pray. You know, get some resources. Go to counseling. We support that. Prayer and counseling, I'm 100% for that but we support and believe that healthy marriages are important, right? Okay, I, I don't have time to expand. I had more points, but that a thriving marriage and, a, and, and it starts there. Finally, no fear. Fear is the greatest enemy we face in this faith battle because they actually look very similar. 
They use the same imagination muscle. See, fear is thinking something that hasn't happened is going to happen or believing something that hasn't happened is going to happen. And faith is believing something that hasn't happened is going to happen. See they're, they're, see, they're very close, but you see the difference? See, fear is believing something that hasn't happened is going to happen, and faith is believing something that hasn't happened is going to happen. You see how, no, there's no, there, it's just where is your hope placed? Where is the scope pointed? Because the same bullet that can, you know, lay in bed at night, oh my gosh, this is going to happen, then this is going to, oh, and then that's going to happen, then they're going to say this, and what am I going to, I'm going to say this, and anybody do that at night? Am I the only crazy person that talks to themselves? No. But then I can get in the Word of God and go, well, God said this is going to happen, and God said that this would happen if that happens, and God said that this would happen if that happens, and God said, and God said, and I begin to scope in on a target that is a different trajectory, that God is for me, not against me. So 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Hebrews 11.6 says, Those without, or, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he comes, for he who comes to God must believe that he is that he is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. Man, where do we lose this? We forget that God rewards us getting radical and having faith to go after him. Like that, that, that part's in the Bible. He rewards that behavior. That's why I have never in my life yet had a person who came to me and said, hey, I feel like God's saying I should start tithing. And they did, and not immediately see a miracle in this house. Now, I don't know what's happened in other houses, but I have never met a first-time tither that doesn't come to me within like a week or two and says, oh my gosh. Why? Because God wants to show them, hey, I got you. I'm a rewarder. Now, as you grow in your faith, sometimes there's a longer period between the sow and the reap, which usually means it's a greater miracle, but... But I'm just telling you, it's not always like that. I'm like always excited for a first time tither. I'm like, oh man, it's gonna be easy for you this round. Okay. <laughs> okay. Finally this. So God loves it. God loves it. John Day did so well on Wednesday. If you didn't listen to his message on Wednesday, you need to. But there is a level you can get with God where you are living in the faith zone and he's not so worried about if you did it perfectly, he's not into the religious stuff. He just loves the faith. He loves it. Man, that person blindly trusts me. Blindly trusts me. So finally, 1 John 5, 4. But whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith is stronger than anything that can come at us in this world. I get nervous about going back to Independence Day. The best thing we can do today is celebrate and praise God and be thankful for the freedom that we have. And I do get nervous about it, but here's what God has been showing me. Is that He overcomes the world. And He was building a church that is overcomers. 
We're not doomsday preppers, we're revival preppers. Okay, and that doesn't mean you can't have like a two-week supply. I don't want to argue about that. Fine, have a supply for earthquake or whatever, power outage. Fine, but prepping is for God's goodness. He's looking for a church that is expecting him, going, okay, I know his goodness is coming. I know it's gonna show up. What do I need to do to get ready? You know what? I should apply for that promotion. I should, because that would be an opportunity for God to show me his goodness. You know what? I should, I should take my wife on a date because I know he said that I'm gonna have a good marriage. So I need to prep for that. I need to get ready for that. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little more because I know that he gives seed to the sower. I'm going to actually be a faithful time. I'm going to do this because I am prepping for the goodness of God to show up in this world because we are free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And he wants free children, blessed of God, to move through this city and be a light so that the kindness of the Lord will lead to repentance. That a revival can break out in a city because people say, I want what they have. I want what they're in. Come on. Let me pray for you. I said the black robe regiment at the beginning, and I was intending to circle back to it. You see, the place that the American Revolution was birthed was at the pulpit. And it was so known that this, that freedom was being preached in the pulpits of the churches of America that... When it came time to war, they had a regiment. They called them the Black Robe Regiment because what would happen is that a preacher would get up on a Sunday, give a message, keep his robe on, and strap on his revolvers and go to battle on Monday. And I believe in our country right now, God is looking for a church. Black Robe, what's the word? Regiment. He's looking for the Black Robe Regiment, those who preach the word and are ready to fight for the word. Now remember, our weapons are not carnal. I'm not telling you to go out and lock and load. I'm telling you to go up and get on your knees and pray and then speak truth and love to people. We are in a culture war. The battle is over the culture. We will not give an inch to demonic, to demonically infused thoughts or theories we will not cower when they're at work and everybody's, uh, you know, this, and they're going off. And you say, hey, actually, I don't subscribe to that. What? No, I, I don't subscribe to division. I subscribe to unity. When truth is uttered in love, it dismantles the lie. People are so shocked because light, you can't get enough darkness to push out light. You ever notice that? You can't add more darkness. Darkness isn't a thing, it's an absence of a thing. So when you bring in even the smallest bit of light, the darkness has no answer to it. The darkness has no answer to light. There is not a war going on between light and darkness. There's a war going on for God's people to usher in the light. But there is no war between light and darkness. When light shows up, game over, battle's over. We are far superior in our, in our warfare strategy. We have a far superior weapon. We just got to pull it out. Stand to your feet. I'm going to close this out on this Independence Day. There's a little bit of an element here where I, uh, I went after some things that are political. I don't apologize, but I also want to have grace that if you're like, ooh, that's 
that was a little rough. I wasn't quite ready. Come up here and talk to me. Let's talk, because I, I love people. Come up here and talk to our team. But real quick, there's nothing more fitting we could do on this Independence Day than offer people the greatest freedom, which is a forgiveness for our sins and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this house and amongst all my political babble slash Bible going, the, God is telling you, oh my God, you're being reminded, your spirit is saying, I need Jesus. I want to serve this king. My life's off the rockers and I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of doing it in my own strength, but I want to have Jesus in my life. And if that's you, I just want to include you in a simple prayer. And so with everyone's head bowed, the eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. Thank you. I see your hand over there. Anyone else? I just want to include you in the prayer. Anyone else say, man, I just need to get right with Jesus today. Okay. Let's all pray this prayer together. I'm so proud of you putting your hand up. Our team's going to come and bring you a Bible, but we're going to pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that because of what you've done, I can be your child and you can live in my heart. Be Lord of my life. Forgive my sins. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.